Greetings this morning. I was blessed with that song on consecration. And just to point out to you in the morning song we sang, it is a morning hymn, but uh, it really... Uh, <clears throat> teaches us some insight on consecration. It says in verse 3 on that hymn number 61, New every morning is thy love. It says, If on our daily course our mind be set to hallow all we find, new treasure still of countless price, God will provide for sacrifice. And the thought goes on in verse 4. The trivial round, the common task, will furnish all we ought to ask. Room to deny ourselves a road to bring us daily nearer God. Just like in the situation there that uh, our sister mentioned this morning. That, uh, you know, the... The trivial round, the common task, just going out for groceries, going to the bank, uh, will furnish all we ought to ask, room to deny ourselves a road to bring us daily nearer God. You know, uh, maybe her first response wasn't, uh, wasn't real good, but, uh, at least she didn't respond by jumping out of her vehicle and, uh, giving the guy a piece of her mind which uh, I've seen done. But I also wanted to remind you, sister, my mind went to Psalms 27. And we all know that. It's a very familiar psalm, but it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the scary guy. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. That That's not... That's not to condemn you for being afraid of the scary guy, but uh, just uh, just an encouragement to uh, uh, look up and know in every scary situation we might have that the Lord is our light and our salvation, and uh, who knows but uh, that our redemption draweth nigh. My thoughts on the poem, brother, is that we we can get pretty far removed in our nice uh, homes we live in, the nice comfortable jobs we have, uh, lovely uh, saints to gather with on Sunday morning and no gunshots ringing uh, in the distance, <clears throat> and yeah, that can seem pretty far away. And I was uh, thinking in my own life, I think uh, the way that's made practical many times in whether it be in our business dealings, uh, the the person that works on our vehicle, the, uh, the person we're doing a job for or have doing a job for us, the serviceman we call out. Many times in our life, our expectations don't get fulfilled. And 
I often see in myself and in others that our our response is much different than the brother with uh, the unbarred door. How often have we thought or said or heard somebody say, that's the last time I'm going to have them here, or that's the last time I'm going there, or that's the last time uh, that guy's going to have an opportunity to serve me, or that, you know, we we get our, we, we, we so easily can get our rights stepped on, or that we get out of our comfort zone in, in one way or another, just in the trivial round, in the, in the common task. And that's when we find out how non-resistant we are. And, you know, if, if we, think the guy ripped us off on over this or that and we can't handle that how are we going to take it when they want to chop our head off and in in the case of the unbarred door uh when they want to burn our house down or or uh scalp us <clears throat> I think many times just because someone's personality rubs us the wrong way. Maybe the, maybe the, uh, we think they're arrogant or, well, you know, that's all the more reason for us to Use them in our business or have contact with them in our business. It, it's a, it's a, it's a way, another way to show suffering love to them. Okay. Well, let's see. Before I get too far away from my message, let's turn to First Kings chapter 18. I'm doing a character study right now on Elijah in our Wednesday evening Bible study. And so, I'm sort of passing over this fellow here that is a very interesting character to me that has really jumped out at me and I thought, well... Since I'm, uh, since that has really picked my attention and I'm not really doing a study on him and uh, not really talking about him in the Bible study, uh, I thought I'd try to draw a few lessons from him today. So 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to read the first 16 verses. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land in, unto all fountains of water and unto all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive that we lose not all the beasts. 
So they divided the land between them to pass throughout it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him and he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou that my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go, tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, Obadiah said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I thy servant fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told my Lord what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand. I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. <clears throat> so the title of my little meditation here is... Seeking grass instead of God. Seeking grass instead of God. Obadiah is, I find, a very interesting character here because we're told that he feared the Lord from his youth. He was trained by his parents, probably, about the, the only true and living God, Jehovah. In contrast to the heathen, Gods that they were serving here in this day, Baal and Ashtaroth, sacrificing their children to these gods and all of the immorality that went with that and believing that Baal sent the rain and was uh, the <clears throat> one that made them to prosper. Here is Obadiah serving in Ahab's court of all things. This is hard for me to wrap my mind around because Ahab with his wife Jezebel's support, who was an avid uh <clears throat> Worshipper of Baal, who it would seem that her Jezebel's father would have been 
king of Tyre, if I have that right now. And I believe that I read in, in Unger's Bible Dictionary, uh, not in the, in the study of this message, but uh, that it's, it was believed that her father was a priest in the worship of Baal. And which would uh, give some reasoning behind why Jezebel was such an avid worshiper of Baal. She was brought up this way. She was trained this way. It's it's what she knew. And in uh, in every religion that we have today, when someone grows up a certain way, whether that's with uh, uh, in the Islamic religion or uh, Buddhist, uh, if that's all a child knows, and especially if they grew up in a home where it was not just nominal, they weren't just Muslim by name or Buddhist by name, but it was drilled into them from a child. This is the God that sends us rain. Uh, it would seem like Jezebel believed this with all her heart. And uh, by the uh, the way that she went after the uh, prophets of Jehovah and and killed them and sought after Elijah's life. How Obadiah could serve and be the... Ahab's top man and be one that served God is hard for me to understand how that works. <clears throat> but we we want to be true to the scriptures here. It does say that he feared the Lord greatly. And I don't want to take away from that. And what else does it say here about Obadiah? Oh, well, when, when Jezebel was going throughout the land, purging the land of any remnants of Jehovah worship that she could find... Obadiah, because he feared the Lord greatly, uh, sought as many of God's men as he could and hid them and fed them from the king's table. Well, bread and water, uh, but, but uh, pretty much everyone in Samaria in that day was down to bread and water, uh, and they were doing good to get that. Uh, so... So we have Obadiah having a very preserving effect upon God's people. And then later on here, he says, his, his own testimony is, I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. So the only thing I can say about that, knowing the day that he lived and that it was at the cost of your life to be a worshiper of Jehovah, the true God, that he did it in secret, but that his, and that his life was one that God prospered. God honored him, and in the same way that God honored Joseph in the heathen country he was in, and uh, he was raised up in that 
kingdom to be the second man in command. It would seem like uh, the same happened here for Obadiah. So, if it wouldn't be for the fact that we have this Obadiah coming in here in the middle of Elijah's life and in such stark contrast to Elijah's life, we, we would maybe read through the story and think not much of it. But uh, as I considered Obadiah, I, I've done uh, a lot of my meditating upon the fact that it seems as old as human nature for... Man to always be looking for a way out, the the easy way to serve God. The, uh, uh, there is the uh, I, I guess at one point I would have said that. Well, the way people used to serve God was, you know, with their whole heart and they did consecrate themselves. And uh, how uh, does the song I chose this morning says it very beautifully in uh, the third verse. O healing one, still all my longing, come with thy blessedness to stay. With humble hunger I desire thee. My being fill without delay. My thoughts and all my powers of reason. I consecrate, O Lord, to Thee. Come, precious Son of grace and glory. Thy comfort grant and make me free. And the thought there is that until we are fully consecrated, we don't know the true freedom that only uh, Jesus can give us. And so when you sometimes read history and biographies and you think that, well, they, men of old had, were more consecrated to the Lord. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount to enter in at the straight gate versus and, uh, yeah, the straight gate, which is the difficult gate, because, uh, broad is the way, uh, and wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And, of course, I, I used to always think of that as being the Christian way or the way of just going my own way, the, the, the way that I'm born onto uh, as a sinner. Um, but in the context there, it's two ways of following the Lord. And Jesus says there then, many will say, Lord, Lord, and give their credentials of all they've done. In their pursuit of following the Lord. And so I, I bring that in to say to conclude that. The. Uh, it's th- there are two ways of following the Lord, it seems, one being the broad road that leads to destruction and the one, the narrow way that leads to life. I am certainly not putting Obadiah on the broad way that leads to destruction. For one, God's 
I believe had a purpose and a place for him to fill here and that uh, his actions certainly would indicate that he was doing his best with the knowledge he had to serve the Lord. We do uh, see quite a contrast there, though, in when Elijah told him to go tell Ahab, when, when you see, when, when it comes right down to it, I'm not sure Obadiah feared the Lord enough that he was willing to risk his life for it. It seems like there was a a hesitancy to go all the way. And Elijah had to, the second time, make an appeal and almost, uh, I, I guess you would say, Proclaim an oath to him. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I am going to talk to Ahab today. There's none of this being whisked away by the Spirit of the Lord. We... We don't feel critical towards Obadiah this morning. I, 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 see, I see myself in Obadiah so much. There, there is, as Jesus remarked, and in all of life, there seems to be this thing that we're always trying to balance in church life. You know, churches can stray far and far and just keep getting farther and farther from the Word of God. And there is one group that says, well, I'm just going to stay put and I'm going to be a light to these people. There's others that... and. And, and maybe the Elijahs are too quick to run. But there are others that say, hey, I'm out of here. They are, they're doing disservice to the Lord. I am, I'm, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm leaving this place. And, uh, many times leave with many strong words about it. And I've seen both sides of the camp there. I remember, well, okay, I was uh, raised brethren. My great-grandfather broke away from the Church of the Brethren in 1948 because the ladies had stopped covering their heads and he decided that was far enough for him. He could not, he could no longer participate in taking communion with these uh, sisters with their uncovered heads. And, well, you know, I, I, I'm sure along with that came other things. But uh, uh, there are many even today that are still with the Church of the Brethren who would uh, feel strongly that they're called to stay and be a light. And I'm I'm not here... Making any a judgment on on them for uh, where they're at or the decision they've made. I remember going to meetings where Harold Martin, who is still with the Church of the Brethren today, if he's still alive, is Harold Martin still alive? Um, and he had just come back from a meeting with the larger group and and you could tell he was very disheartened 
by everything that he sat and listened to and heard and, and saw the departing from the word of God. But then at the end of that, he made a pretty firm statement of that staying and being an influence as much as he can. And I'm not saying he hasn't been an influence in the, among the church of the brethren. And, uh, so, so there are always these two sides of the scale, it seems, that we're trying to balance. That's in, in church life. And, and then there's, there's the, uh, in, in, in church life, there's, uh, we're, we're dealing with Those who are over here on separation from the world and and uh, wanting to be uh, everything we can to be separate from the world, and then there's uh, those over here that are uh, are saying, "No, let's become as much like it. The the the, the we're we're more likely to win it if we become like it. We will uh, we can." Bring in the in the masses, bring in the multitudes by uh, going to the same places of entertainment and and uh, going to the uh, same values in dress and whatever it is. The uh, youth leader there at the worship center. Number of years ago, and I'm not sure if he's still there or if he's still the youth leader or not, but he was all tattooed up because he felt like he could minister to the youth of this generation uh, with his tattoos. They could relate to him with his with his tattoos. <clears throat> so you and. I see in Obadiah that that wrestling of you know, trying to walk this tightrope between full consecration to Jehovah and yet uh, saving himself, I guess. <laughs> There is a a great contrast between Elijah's fearless faith and Obadiah's caution and concern for life is what I see here. And when when we think about the whole matter of how I can be most effective. I would, I would hope that especially under the new covenant, I realize this being under the old covenant, it, it does look somewhat different. But as, as we consider some of these scriptures in the New Testament, there, I think, we all should be convinced that the, the New Testament motto, mantra, uh, whatever uh, you call it, should be, Come out from among them and be separate. Whether that's in church life, whether that's in business life, whether that's in our casual friendships, there should be no uh, 
middle ground, so to speak, where we're trying to save our life. There needs to be a clear coming out. And we'll read some of those verses. But first, I'll give the example of Abraham and Lot as I was thinking about this. Lot, first of all, he chose the well-watered plains. And <clears throat> so he, he takes the, the well-watered plains and... The first thing he does is he pitches his tent towards Sodom. Now, the least he could have done in those well-watered plains is turned his tent towards uh, Abraham up there on the mountain. And at least he could have come out of his tent door each morning and, and uh, saw Abraham maybe up there at his altar praying to the only true and living God. But no, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. So every morning he's coming out and he's looking at all the, the, uh, all that's going on over there. And I'm sure he starts getting discontent even on these, in these well-watered plains. Uh, Well, apparently so, because he didn't stay there uh, in his tent. As we find later, he is not just pitched towards Sodom, but he's in Sodom. And not only is he in Sodom, but he is on the board of directors for running the city. Or he's on some for council board. He's having some, uh, and and maybe with the argument that uh, if I can be here uh, and and be among them, I can influence them. I can have an influence. Well, we we know the story how when the Sodom was overtaken by their enemies and who but uncle Abraham comes to the rescue and rescues Lot out of uh the hands of the enemy if it weren't for the fact that Lot had a godly uncle, he would have long perished and his influence long gone. Um, then when the last chapter is to be written on Sodom, Abraham is the one, again, the one who was separated from had nothing to do with. He's the one that was influential in saving Lot and had the most, I mean, with Abraham's influence and intercession for Sodom, he almost saved the whole city. And he wasn't even there and he wasn't among them. And he wasn't trying to be like them. Lot barely escaped with his life and he didn't escape with his wife. So, let's read some of these scriptures. 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians 6, 17 says, Well, I guess I should read. I'll start in uh, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? An unbeliever. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. What more do we need than that? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, 
and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. What more do we need than a promise from our Almighty Heavenly Father that He will be a Father to us? We don't need to see how close we can get to the world before it rubs off on us. We don't need to try to be like it, to be an influence to it. Okay. First Peter 2, 9 through 12. says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. If we, if we could see this picture right, no longer would we be trying to mingle the two. Because we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beg you. As strangers and pilgrims, stay away from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Run from it. And John 17, Jesus says, Where are we at? John 17, verse 14 and 15. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Take note. That if the world is loving you or you are loving the world, there's a problem. That's a problem. And the most scathing statement maybe that Jesus ever made in John chapter 7. Verse 7 says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. The next time you have a conversation... With Mr. Worldly Wise Man or Mr. Uh, Easy Believism or Mr. Uh, Love the World. And he says, well, the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. What are you talking about? Make sure you read to him John 7, 7. Here, Jesus himself testifies that the world hates me. And let me remind you that it was Jesus' enemies that said, that accused him of being a friend to sinners. Now, whatever they meant by that, 
I don't believe is true because in the same sentence, they also said that he is a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. And we certainly don't believe that of Jesus. And if they got those two wrong, how can we be assured that the other was right? Okay. In Hebrews 13, 12 through 14. It says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So I would like to suggest that the lesson that we can learn from Obadiah is that one of the reasons he could maintain his friendship with Ahab, who was so opposed to the worship of the true God, was that he didn't testify of Ahab's works, that they were evil. He didn't challenge Ahab. When Elijah shows up on the scene many years later in Naboth's vineyard, Ahab's response was, A bitter response of enmity towards Elijah. And I think when we see the way the world responded to Jesus, it was a bitter response of enmity, of hatred, of crucify him. Get him out of here. We can't stand him. I really don't believe it has changed in 2019. And if we're finding it to be different, it might mean that we need to examine our theology. It might mean to, we need to ask ourselves if we are really standing on the side of Christ in full consecration as Elijah did. It might mean that uh, we need to do some cutting off. It might, it, it might mean that we need to get outside the camp. And go to him who is without the camp. I think there's many real, uh, uh, many real similarities in Obadiah's life there that we can relate to today. Here was Obadiah, Elijah found Obadiah seeking for grass for the beasts. Now, if I'm reading too much into this, uh, you brothers all have the liberty when I'm done preaching here, right, John, to put me in my place. You all have your chance to speak after, after, after me, you come first. Um, And uh, feel free to do that. Obadiah was out there seeking grass. When 
I think there had to be many people dying of starvation. There had to be, uh, from, from this severe of a drought, I, I mean, quite a while prior to this, when Elijah goes to the widow at Zarephath, she was already preparing her last meal. And then she was going to die. We have to assume that people were dying all over the place. Where, where was at least the concern for the people? Not the beasts. Not the horses. Let the horses, well, eat the horses. To, I mean, to, to, to live, eat the horses. Why are you out there? Why, why are we out there trying to save the beast? There's, there's things of so much greater value to save. And when you look at it in, in, in contrast with Elijah, he was saving life. He went and he saved that widow and her son. And when her son died, he brought him back to life. He was, he was bringing life to the people, not to the beasts. Here's Obadiah out there. Well, what choice does he have? He, he became friends with Ahab, who was not a friend of God, who was not seeking God. Here is, after three and a half years of drought, Ahab, instead of seeking after God, he's going out there trying to find some grass for his beasts so that they don't all die. How much colder can we get? How much hard, more hard-hearted can we get? How much more proud can we get? We, all of us, by nature, are self-centered, self-pleasing, I-focused. We sing that song, not I, but Christ, be honored, loved, exalted. And that's a wonderful song and a wonderful prayer to pray. But how often do we find ourselves in, in daily life, in the, in the trivial round, in the common task of our lives, that we find ourselves choosing self over the Lord or over others, feeding my own belly over the uh, needs of a, of a lost humanity. And I guess the the real punchline in my message here is and not feeling an ounce of criticism towards anyone here. And and I'm telling myself all night long, that I need to practice what I preach. But the, we, we live in such a self-centered society, a selfish society, and an affluent society where people spend thousands of dollars just for a little puppy dog these days. It, it blows me away when I see the prices that my nephew gets for his little dogs unbelievable something that's just supposed to be this a scavenger out there taking care of the dead chickens or whatever people are paying thousands of dollars for and spending thousands of dollars on i had a grandma and grandpa tell me uh when i was out to their place one day they had already raised their children. They were gone and they had this little dog and it was going in for an operation and it was like the second or third operation it had had. And, and, and they said, we have determined that it's much more expensive to have a dog, to keep a dog and to care for it properly than it is or was to raise our children. I think... That's Obadiah out there seeking for grass to keep his beast alive. When, when humanity is 
strewn along the uh, uh, the the trails of. I mean, I can imagine him seeing dead corpses, bodies out there uh, along the trails as he was going to seek for grass for his for his horse for his beast. We, we can spend so much money living in the affluent society that we're in. We can spend so much money on ourselves in all types of recreation. And with our houses, with our vehicles. And I say it can easily become... Obadiah seeking for grass for his beast. My challenge here in looking at Obadiah is that we ask ourselves, am I living my life at the expense of the poor? Am I living my life to seek after my own pleasures rather than to see Jesus glorified in some lost soul. I'll just read in closing here, uh, and make a few comments here yet about Obadiah, and, and that that we can see the the focus of I. I don't know if I even brought it out there in that song that it says in, uh, I forget how it says it in uh, the hymnary, but in uh, the purple book here, it says in that song, not a trace of I be found. That's what we see in Elijah's life as he faces Ahab. And declares that his passion was to see his God glorified. His God was more real to him than Ahab was. And it's very clear that Ahab was much more real to Obadiah than God was. In... uh, If I can just point a few things out, he says, well, we're, we, we are thankful for what Obadiah did here with saving these hundred men, but it's the, the, thing I want to point out about it is in in verse 12 he says I thy servant fear the Lord from my youth he's giving his credentials to Elijah he's saying I saved these hundred men again laying out his credentials if uh, if he was in uh to today's society, he would be uh, posting this on his Facebook page as to what he has accomplished or who he is, what he has done. And Elijah said, "As uh, the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today." So, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Based on the uh, promise that Elijah was not going to whisk himself away and and be gone. In contrast, when we uh, to Elijah, when when the Ahab's son was it Athaliah? Is that Ahab's son? No. No, I was a woman, wasn't it? 
uh, Ahab's son that was king after him, he fell. He was sending his men to Beelzebub, I think, for, <laughs> uh, for help. Beelzebub, yeah, Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, a false god. He was sending his servants to this false god to get an answer as to whether he would live or not. Well, on the way, Elijah meets up with them, just so happens, and, and tells them that because... He didn't seek after the living God. He's going to die and not live. Well, he was not satisfied with that, so he sends 50 of his mighty men, his soldiers, to Elijah to bring him to him. He wanted to talk to him face to face. And Elijah says, well, when they see him, they tell him, oh, man of God. The king wants to see you. What was his name? Ahaziah. Ahaziah was his name. Not Athaliah. Ahaziah wants to see you. He said to them, If I be a man of God, let fire come out of heaven and consume you. And fire came out of heaven and consumed them. The... I see a contrast in the way Elijah lived his life and the way Obadiah lived his life. Obadiah had to uh, tell uh, tell others what his credentials were. Elijah just lived them. And then when he, uh, in speaking of not a trace of I be found, you see his selflessness and his humility when the day he was to be taken up in the chariot of fire. And it seems he had pretty clear understanding of what was going to happen there, and so did the other prophets. And he he didn't want, even at that moment, which was one time in his life he could have taken a little glory to himself, of, you know, this amazing thing that's about to take place is is going to prove who I am. And he didn't even want Elisha to be with him. He didn't even want him to see him disappear. He didn't want to see him. You know, if in in today's society and in, 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 in the way we understand human nature and the way we're all prone to, to live our lives, wouldn't it just be, wouldn't we be Getting the word out to everybody to come see my glorious home going, uh, see me go off to heaven in a in a chariot of fire. I, I mean, and I think we do that and not even feel a a, tw- a twinge of remorse about it. This is exciting. This is great. But in in Elijah's humility and all he was about was to his one passion in life was that his God be known in this land of Israel where he was once known. And they're now bowing to these false idols. He wanted them to know the living God. And and that's done when most... My conclusion is that's done most effectively when no trace of I can be found. Lord, I pray that my scattered thoughts here this morning could be a blessing to the saints and an encouragement. Lord, I don't want this to be a stick over someone's head. Uh, commanding them to shape up, but an encouragement for us to fully consecrate ourselves 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Till not a trace of I be found. Lord, I pray your blessing on these dear saints here at Oasis. Encourage their hearts this morning. Fill them with the Holy Ghost. Lord, may Schaeferstown and the community around know that just as that widow of Zarephath had to confess that Elijah was for real and that he was a man of God, may the testimony go out from here that these people love none other than the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified, bearing His reproach without the camp. In Jesus' name, amen.